Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Today is Thursday, April 24th, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week we welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe for free to the digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank you all for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer today, brought to you by Tractor Supply, the stuff you need out here. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. 
But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Mount Healthy Hatcheries has been a hatching tradition for over 80 years. Home of the healthiest chicks, Mount Healthy Hatcheries offers a wide selection of bantams, turkeys, guineas, ducks, pheasants, and of course, meat birds and layers. Order online at mounthealthy.com, that's mthealthy.com, or give them a call at 1-800-451-5603. Don't forget to ask about their free bonus chicks offer. Mount Healthy Hatcheries, home of the healthiest chicks. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We have Richard Frutenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. He's going to be here, uh, and the topic today is very interesting. Soilless, weedless gardening. So um, if, if I'm going to do uh, a weed-free garden, basically it probably contains no dirt and no plants. It's just a bucket of nothing because I always have the weeds. Um, I do a pretty good job keeping them out of the garden. Some years <laughs> um, I can plant wide enough to just uh, run uh, an acre garden. Um, I can plant wide enough to run the tiller down the rows. That that really helps. I haven't really, well, I did plant wide enough to be able to drive the tractor down some of the rows with the, um, <clears throat> with the uh, cultivator behind it. You can only do that so long before the plants get too high to do that. But uh, that's kind of how I've had success doing the, the weeding in the garden. It works real well, but soilless, weed-free garden beds is uh, today's topic. Richard Fudenberger, you love it when he's on, you love his topics, so you're going to love his magazine. Backhomemagazine.com is where you can subscribe to that. Six issues a year, every other month. Very reasonably priced. Tons of information. You'll want to catalog his magazines because they're a great resource for the upcoming years. When you need to look back and research something, you've got it. So uh, in the chat room, uh, we've got a few folks there joining us. Thank you very much. It was already asked. Um, let's see. It says, um, where are you? Are you home yet? <laughs> yes, we are home after uh, really nine months on the road. If you look at the clockwork, we have stopped here passing through. Uh, last time we were here, we were here for about 19 hours, and then we hit the road. And before that, probably, you know, uh, a day or two here or there. But for the most part, we have been away since uh, last July, so about nine months. But we rolled in this past Monday and uh, had 
still, you know, had and still have 50 gazillion things on my to-do list. You know, you get back for nine months, there's things you got to do. And uh, I was trying to do a few upgrades on the uh, RV that I've been wanting to do for a while, and I got most of them done. <clears throat> we do have an RV rally this weekend we're going to locally uh, so we can see some friends we haven't seen in a while and be able to get a little bit more done there. But uh, off and on and trying to upgrade some of the things on the RV, <clears throat> and that's uh, I'll do it myself right now. Then uh, I went to turn the water on on our home built in 1900. It sits up off the sits up off the ground about three to four feet, depending on where you're standing. And I turned on the water. I guess it was Tuesday. I got around to it, and um, could have been Monday afternoon. But uh, it um, looked like Niagara Falls underneath the house. I'm like, great. It's not. You know, it's got one bath. The thing was built in 1900, so it didn't have a bath. And it was built. But we've renovated about half the house, and I must say it looks very nice. But um, we uh, at Niagara Falls, I was like, okay, cut it off. I got, it's all PVC or PCV, P, uh, CPVC, okay? So, um, and it sits up off the ground three or four feet, so it's easy to repair. It's just frustrating, and it's just one more thing you have to add to the to-do list. That's the most aggravating thing. But, uh, we had quite a few leaks. Even though I have drains throughout the system, uh, and I opened up those drains. What I did not do when I left in July is I did not, once I opened up the drains out and under around the house, I didn't go back in the house and open up those drains. So it, with the pressure, like a straw, if you put your finger while the straw's in your water and lift the straw up, water is still in that straw until you release that finger. And so I had uh, I didn't go in and release all the upper valves. So, and, of course, I had some low spots where the water wouldn't have drained anyway, even if I would have opened the, the faucets in the house <laughs> before we left. And that was my first noticeable crack, was I had a low spot in the pipe where it wasn't uh, uh, fully secured up to the joist under the house, and um, water couldn't drain because it was a low spot. So anyway, we've spent the last couple of days fixing uh, probably about six or seven bursts, and then today we found out that uh, there was still water in the control valve or in the, in the faucet, I'm sorry, the, the turn style uh, that operates the shower. You know, we have a separate tub um, faucet to fill the tub. That, that's fine. And then you, uh, on the wall, you've got that little uh, rod that you turn to the left to the right for the shower and then the shower head above that. Well, water right there in the wall, the shower controller uh, froze and busted that. So when I'm at the RV rally, I'm going to swing up to Lowe's or Home Depot and pick up one of those, and we'll put that in next week. But the good thing is, house is three or four, off, three or four feet off the ground. It was all PVC. So I mean, how hard is that? Measure, cut, glue. <laughs> Measure, cut, glue. Okay, pretty, pretty simple. But it's just, just aggravating and time-consuming. I could do more things. So, and the pipes were wrapped. Uh, they had the insulation around them. So, but we had some very cold weather, like a lot of other folks, um, and. Uh, that that was the uh, ultimate factor. Other than that, uh, glad to get some of these things done to the RV. After nine months, you figure out a lot of things that you want to do to it to try to upgrade and make life easier. So um, I know outside I've updated all of the running lights and the brake lights. And so I, those were updated. They're a lot clearer now, and they look good, and they're brand spanking new, that type of thing. Um, caulking around certain things, replace the work lamp up there by the hitch. I can see the hook up at night. Replace the um, 
those because those, you think when, it, when the RVs in the sun all the time, those cheap plastic things fade to a yellowish color, uh, beige color. And your whole RV is white, and you have these all these little instruments along it. You know, where the power cord comes out, where the cable comes out, where the you know the and water inlet is. So that's little installed pieces that just turn. So so anyway, we're slowly but surely getting all that back upgraded to white. Um, so it looks like a newer uh, camper. It's not that old, but uh, say it's only five years old. So, um, but it's a 24-foot travel trailer, queen bedroom in the front, bunks in the back for the kids, full bath, um, refrigerator, stove, oven, microwave, you know, that, that dinette, sink, double-sided sink, you know, all the comforts of home, if you will, on the road. So just doing a few upgrades with that, and I'll be working on that through the weekend. But uh, yes, glad to be home. And uh, uh, it was just good to see friends the whole nine yards. So. But we're back on the road. We'll be back on the road. We're heading out uh, again. We got a little RV rally with some. We w- we wouldn't go to it because we've been on the road so much. But now nine months. But but we've got friends with this uh, RV club. So and it's going to be like thirty minutes from our house. So we've got to go to that and meet and see some old friends. And then um, next weekend I'll be up in Nashville, uh, heading up that way. I got two events. We have the ah geez, let me tell you what it is anyway. Just so you know, I've mentioned it. Richard's called in, so we'll get to him just to, in a second. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, it is the the event I will be at Saturday, May 10th. Saturday, May 10th is the East Nashville Chicken Chase and Hot Hen Hoedown. <laughs> Say that ten times. The Nashville Chicken Chase and Hot Hen Hoedown. Uh, I will be kicking off this event at 10 a.m. I'll be the first guest guest speaker on the stage, and uh, I'll do an hour thing. And then I've got a a tractor supply tent. Tractor supply will be there, and they'll be sponsoring my my trip there and my appearance. And so there we'll have, we're giving away the magazines. We'll probably have some books to sell, autographs, pictures, things like that. And then, uh, like, we'll have four breakout sessions. So the first hour I'll be having a set of topics I'll talk about. And then after that over at the tractor supply tent, uh, like every two hours, every two, two and a half hours, I'll have a breakout session uh, with like incubation, uh, brooding, poops and predators, nutrition, that type of thing. And so you'll just have to check the calendar or the uh, program to see when those are going to be. But if you're in the area, we'd love for you to come by. There's going to be food trucks there. There's going to be um, I don't know, just a ton of activities uh, that you can do. And then the day after Sunday, I will be in Hendersonville, which is just outside of Nashville, at the Hendersonville Tractor Supply. Uh, we'll be doing an event like we did on the road, the Getting Started with Backyard Poultry um, workshop uh, and book signing there, and that will be Sunday uh, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. And then we'll probably, after that event, head on back down to Chattanooga, stay there at Chattanooga Sunday night, and then Monday come on back into into, uh, the homestead. So that's uh, And then after that, (laughs) I don't think I have any business travel for three months, and we'll be going to the beach and got to celebrate Kayla's birthday at the Stone Mountain Park, but no business travel until August 15th. And actually, folks, that's when I'm going to be headed up to uh, uh, the Northeast, Virginia to Maine, doing the same thing, probably a five-week book tour and, uh, and workshop tour with Tractor Supply. And so uh, we're mapping that route out now. I'll meet with them actually uh, next Friday, and we'll look at some stores to hit. So we hope we can see you on the road and meet with all of our fans on the road. Okay, without further ado, because we're going to be wrapping up at 1 o'clock today, 
uh, Richard Frutenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine today, Soilless and Weed-Free Garden Beds. And, and let's give them a big round uh, of applause. And a Chicken Whisperer, welcome. Hey, Richard, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's been a long time, it seems, that we've had a talk. <laughs> I know it's so glad to have you uh, so glad to have you back. I was telling them earlier that the soilless and weed free garden beds if, if that was my case if I had a soil it would be a concrete pad because of just the weeds <laughs> I was telling them earlier kind of with my garden I've had success because my rows are far enough apart. I just end up wake up early before it gets hot till I run down that row and, and I'm good to go or up until the plants get so big I can hook the cultivator to the to the old uh Ford jubilee and and cultivate that way. But um, uh, it's uh, uh, the gardens I've had in the past where I didn't have that luxury and other raised beds or any other type of uh, area, and the weeds just seem to uh, to, to take over. So um, I'll be interested in the topic today, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners will. And um, oh, actually, you know, good news. You just happened to be – I got contacted by Blog Talk Radio. And uh, they were looking at all the numbers, and they were very impressed. And so they've included me. They're doing some upgrades and uh, included me on some upgrades that they're doing. But they were uh, they were really impressed with, with our listenership. And uh, we were talking about archive listeners, live listeners, things like that, and, and, and the numbers and how long we've been broadcasting and how we still have very good numbers throughout the years. And uh, I told them that basically 100% it's because of all of our wonderful guests. No one wants to just tune in and hear me talk about chickens all day. So we've got folks like you, Richard, to come on, publisher of Back Home Magazine, and, and talk about the different topics. Like uh, um, we've, we've had an array of them uh, with you being on. We've got the garden guru. Um, uh, that comes on quite twice a month, and of course the other chicken-related shows and things. So, but we've had uh, we were uh, we were really pinpointed. They've been following me through the years. I've gotten a lot of a, good, a lot of good publicity for BDR over the years. They're out in New York, and uh, but they were they were very pleased and, and impressed with even over the years. And I, had, you know, nothing I'm doing. So we just have wonderful guests that come on and share their knowledge about these awesome topics that that interest the people. So um, we were very very proud of that to be included in that list of uh, elite with Blog Talk Radio over the years. So, And thanks to you for coming on for, for many years now and sharing your knowledge about really homesteading, the sustainable lifestyle. And I know you were at the uh, Mother Earth News uh, Fair in Asheville. If I wouldn't have been on tour, that's the closest one it's ever been to me. I probably would have been there. But I think I was coming down through... Um, Knoxville and Kentucky that that weekend, so uh, I wasn't able to attend. But it sounded like through an email this uh, yesterday or this morning that you had a good time and it was a success, successful event. Yeah, no, it, it, it's they've really um, they've really expanded their um, their uh, coverage on on these fairs, and they've uh, you know with experience they've they've managed to to get them running a little more smoothly and uh, and um, uh, you know being being in our own home turf here, and the fact that you know many of the people that back home here—I I don't know if everybody realizes it—but but most of our staff were ex Mother Earth uh, people, you know, with the original magazine. So um, it um, it was like a homecoming of sorts, and and I personally saw a number of people I have not seen in years and years and years—just just people from our old uh, old uh, farm 
village and some of the other uh, some of the other experimental stuff we did back back in the day and uh, so I was real pleased and the, and the folks at Mother Earth were were um, very generous with with us uh, with our you know with our um, we set up a, a nice booth and and we had uh, uh, they had asked me to speak uh, uh, I do I do um, a lot of my background has to do with biofuels and um, energy and uh, and green building and stuff so I spoke. I spoke. I was a presenter on uh, several uh, several different topics and uh, uh, for their for their sustainability and workshop series that they hold at these fairs. And I also uh, was uh, uh, invited to speak with the Ford Motor Company's electric vehicle um, uh, division. They had a had a had a uh, expert panel on um, alternative fuels and uh, and alternative vehicles mostly. And Ford uh, helped sponsor that. And I was. Uh, very impressed with that. We had, uh, Ford has some really good uh, programs in place and some really nice vehicles we got to drive and, and check out uh, at the fair. And uh, um, we were doing some discussions with, with the uh, people in attendance about, about uh, options people have in, uh, in, in purchasing vehicles and how, how they might use them, the range of the electric cars, the options we have as, as consumers in the diesel, in the diesel and biodiesel area um, you know whether whether people could go all electric or hybrid electric and just it was just a lot of fun we had we had um, had some good good discussion and and and, uh, and some good representation so so I was real pleased with the fair and uh, very good I'm gonna get uh, there one yeah. of these days <laughs> yeah yeah well they have you know they, they have them they have them all over well not all over the country but they have one in Kansas one in Seattle one in uh, Asheville I'm sure they'll come back next year uh, and they have one in Pennsylvania. So, uh, eventually, as as they may expand into other areas of the, of the uh, U.S., they'll I'm sure they'll have one close to everybody at some point. So, but um, uh, that's you know that's a, that's a, always a good thing. And generally, these things happen whether it's Mother Earth or any other any other uh, sponsor of, of these events. Um, the summer is always a great spring and summer is always a great time for these things because they're a lot of fun. There's always music and food and and um, social, uh, uh, you know, events and, and education and all sorts of stuff, opportunity for people to meet and greet and, and see how things are done. So it's, um, it's always, uh, it's always a, a, a pleasure to do most of these things as long as, in this case, I didn't have to go that far. Yeah. It was a real okay. pleasure not to have to, you know, fly or drive all that distance. And, uh, and we just, uh, we, it was just, it was just sort of fun. So, but, um, the uh, the topic today, which we've been gee, we've been trying to get this done for for weeks now, <laughs> with you with you on the road and with my my on and off we've had some real problems. But uh, in fact, we had our our prior discussion. I think was on pellet stoves, which which never occurred because I felt that it was too getting too warm to talk about stoves. So we just kicked it kicked yeah. it forward notch into the into the uh, soilless gardening, which essentially is a combination of of changing the medium. And raised bed gardening. It's basically an enclosed gardening structure that uses an entirely different type of growing medium than soil. Uh, we're not talking about hydroponics because it's not a it's not a it's not a flowing nutrient liquid. It's it's just basically using um, using a different uh, material other than soil to um, to hold the plants and give them and feed them the nutrients they need. Um, and you know why would we want to do that? Um, it's really, really just a matter of of, uh, of the 
weeding, the effort in weeding and the, and the time it takes to, to do that, and just the fact that, that so many people are, at least on a small scale, uh, obviously in a farm situation it's a little, a little different, but on a small scale for growers and home gardeners, um, the people are transitioning to raised bed gardens anyway, to enclosed structured gardens, which make it so much easier to, um, to contain the gardening uh, area, to weed comfortably and as um as we have had in our in our latest issue um for especially with for people who have who are having trouble physical problems like leaning over and 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 kneeling and stooping uh you know stoop labor kind of thing raising raising the level of the actual growing bed up to a comfortable height is very very attractive to to uh people as they as they grow, get a little older, and uh, and we did a we did a really good article by a fellow named Rob Roy uh, in the in the uh, last issue about um, about raising raised bed gardens and building a raised bed garden with uh, with a structure that actually brings the the height up to where you can act, where you can feel more comfortable. You can you can garden in a chair, in a wheelchair, in a uh, in a situation where you can stand and reach instead of stooping, um, all that. So that was that's a whole different topic in fact we may talk about that sometime in the future but but this soilless gardening is is basically a raised bed um situation with uh with a different um with a different soil medium instead of instead of soil different medium um and uh you know the the uh the situation is that seeds weed seeds come about because the habitat that they're in, the soil they're in, is just perfect for them to grow. Not, not only does it allow the allow the cultivar to grow, but it will allow the weeds to grow as well, and that's uh, and that's what we're trying to avoid. You know, in soil we've got moisture, oxygen, uh, heat, solar solar warmed soil heat, and um, and you know the uh, the uh, weeds come up right along with the with the seeds, and uh, and you know not not a good thing if we, if we can somehow separate the seeds from the weeds uh you know we're, we'd be in good shape so by by recreating the the loose environment that soil soil you know shouldn't be packed it should be it should be loose and uh, and contain oxygen have a little uh, moisture retention um be loose enough that the seeds can get a good start um so in this situation we're replacing soil with other components that can offer um, moisture nutrient and and some kind of structure or um, uh, you know some physical physical structure that will actually hold the plant in place along with some minerals and other necessary trace elements uh, but avoid the avoid the introduction of weeds altogether so what we've got here is uh, uh, material such as cotton burr um, peat moss, rice hulls, all these things are perfect substitutes for soil and and then can be purchased in in the um, amounts needed to fill a uh, a typical raised bed without breaking the bank. Um, you know, peat moss, for example, is not a particularly expensive um, element. Uh, cotton burrs available in, you know, in bags, in 50-pound bags or, or whatever size um, you can get in bulk or, or in bags. And rice hulls, which are... Um, which are just the hulls of uh, surrounding the seeds of the rice in the milling process. Um, they're a great fertilizer, uh, um, and they provide all the uh, all the uh, 
necessary drainage and physical structure you need to uh, to uh, uh, grow the plants. So any of those three items, the peat moss, the rice hulls, or the cotton burr, is a is a good substitute for your typical soil base in a in a raised bed garden. Um, the uh, cotton burr is um, is just uh, the stems, the hulls, the leaves um, that's processed and, and sold in bulk. That actually the, they contain uh, nitrogen. They're a natural fertilizer. They have they have the phosphate, the potassium, and the nitrogen nitrogen built into them. And they're essentially a, um, a they have been considered for you know for years just a just a waste product. Um, now they're they're actually being um, being bagged in bulk as a um, as a gardening uh, additive or supplement or in this case a actual replacement for uh, you know for the, the soil and um, you know it's available um, you know I'm not I'm not sure about the wide scale availability of it I mean it's a matter of people checking you know where they live at their um, at their uh, garden supply stores or if they have a wholesale um, uh, wholesale slash retail uh, farming outlet. Uh, nearby or a tractor supply or any of those places but in in it is available in bulk um in areas around here but um uh it, it's also available as a bag product um in many places too and it's just a matter of checking uh checking around i'm sure an internet search um not to say that you want to ship it particularly but but an internet search may lead you to a local source that it's available at um or just pick up the phone and make a few calls but um you know that's a that's one option pmos is everywhere it's um it's a normally a fairly acidic component, but it's the remains of moss, you know, that that's found in you know swamps and bogs and whatever. But that has been that has been packaged and and sold, um, you know, for years. Um, it has beneficial bacteria. It, it's a good it's a good pH balancer for alkaline soils, which um, you know, which a lot of folks have. Uh, and um, it also has um, uh, it also has it has a characteristics that um, uh, make it a good soil amendment and a good structural amendment for you know for soil. Um, the rice hulls are the coatings of the seeds of the rice seeds, and uh, you know in the milling process they are they are drawn off. And again, that was considered a waste product, but they are they are an organic fertilizer. They're a good mixer, a good amendment, and um, they offer you know exceptional drainage, and they do de- decompose um, fairly quickly. So that's you know that's a good a good thing too. Um, because the decomposition is actually a, a healthy, thriving activity um, that um, helps uh, helps the you know growth of, growth of, of a plant. So, so if your if your soil is um, if your soil is marginal, um, you got cl- uh, you know heavily clay soil, you have got rocks in the soil or rock rocky clay soil or whatever. Um, it is really just a um, uh, just a matter of uh, of introducing the um, you know some of these options into the into the soil bed to help grow you know in in a similar way without really without the weeds because the, when you're introducing new soil into the weeds or or um, material that hasn't been fully composted um, you are also introducing um, weed seeds and with the you know with the cotton burr and the uh, and the other things I mentioned you really don't have that problem so you've eliminated um, you know a, a, a huge portion of the possibility of uh, of introducing seeds in now of course the the weed seeds will will come in from other other sources i mean they'll just be introduced from you know from 
just native environment uh, from the air or whatever, but um, uh, you know other uh, birds and other animals maybe introducing them to the into the uh, into the soil from you know from outside. But but essentially, as far as them being part of a soil structure, they're they're not numbers will be reduced, you know, considerably. Um, I don't know, um, again, actually um, actually finding a source for some of this may be a matter of just doing a little searching other than the peat moss, but, but it is really just a matter of, uh, of looking at what you need and then, um, and then you know, either having the, having the, uh, the material delivered or, or picking it up in, in bags or in bulk with your own, with your own vehicle. Um, but an important part of this is the raised beds because it's something you really need to contain these. And you know, raised beds are something that you can build from almost anything. Um, we've seen some pretty creative uh, in the, in, the, in our editorial history here of our 20 plus years of, uh, of uh, gardening related editorial, along with you know homesteading and other other sustainable living kind of things. We've seen some pretty creative raised bed situations. But you know, a lot of people will use concrete block. It's uh, it's e it's fairly inexpensive. It's easy to do. Uh, it doesn't have to be the blocks do not have to be mortared together. Um, they can be. They don't have to be. Um, you can just loose lay them, loose stack them, or you can do a surface bonding um, method. Where in which case a a, a sort of a, a mortar fiberglass mix is is troweled over the outside of the block, and it actually binds the block together because um, because of the fiberglass and the mortar work together as a seal and actually fasten the, the blocks together. Um, that's what they, they, they make swimming pool wall uh, uh, sea walls and swimming pool enclosures and other things out of this out of this stuff uh, out of this compound of, uh, between of uh, mortar and and fiberglass and it's, you can purchase it at any big box store or whatever in in, in 60 pound bags um, but if you use block you don't even have to really mortar or do that you can you can just loose stack them because the because the raised, raised beds are not that high that there's a lot of that much pressure on them I've seen people build raised beds out of treated lumber out of um, railroad ties out of redwood out of uh, tires uh, stack tires um, uh, rock build building rock walls and putting the beds inside the rock boundary um, there's just all sorts of things the the only the only Warning I might or caveat I might say is with with treated lumber, um, you definitely and even even with railroad ties because they have a they have a high content of their creosote they're treated with creosote which can leach into the soil. So if you're concerned as as you may well be concerned with leaching chemicals into the soil from the edges, uh, either creosote or treated lumber, you can. Um, Probably the easiest way to deal with that is to line the beds before you put the soil in, or in this case, before you put the peat moss or the uh, rice hulls or whatever in. Uh, line them with something that will prevent the, the liquid leaching of when it rains. The chemical that's in the in the wall of the railroad tie or in the in the treated wood will just basically leak into the leak into the um, soil with, along with the water. So basically, you need to separate the wall of the structure from the soil uh, on the inside, and that can be done. Um, a lot of people use um, aluminum flashing; is inexpensive. The roof flashing that you fix your repair your roof with and fix around chimneys and uh, around gutters and facing underneath the shingles. Um, they come, it comes in rolls, various 
uh, various sizes, but I think a, I think at least a 16-inch roll is pretty common. Uh, very thin aluminum, so you can easily drape it over the um, over the edge of the uh, of the raised bed and down into the soil, down into the uh, into the uh, bed where the soil would be, and then carry it in a little bit and just overlap it as you go along the length of the of the uh, wall of the bed. You just overlap it a little bit, and uh, it can be nailed in place with little aluminum nails, and um, and that works quite well. Um, in in the day when newspapers were a lot more prevalent, I, I guess you can still get them. I really haven't tried locally uh, lately, but they used to have um, used to make available printing plates, and they're fairly large. Uh, uh, the printing plate for a, for a broadsheet newspaper or even a tabloid is, you know, the size of the paper, a little bigger. So, uh, so it's um, you could buy those plates or, or even even pick, you know, take them away off off the people's hands. Um, and just use them instead of the aluminum uh, flashing, and just nail them, you know, nail them down, and uh, and they, they would work as well. Uh, another option is um, is rubber sheathing. Uh, they use rubber for pond liners, for roofing repairs. Uh, it's called it's the most common one's called an EPDM rubber, which is a special a special rubber liner. They use most most usually use it for um, flat built-up metal roofs. Uh, Flat roofs, like in industrial and commercial buildings, where they have to they have to seal the um, top of the roof so the water doesn't get through. Um, and a lot of times, there's a rubber coating underneath, and they that is glued, overlapped and glued. And uh, when it gets old, and they peel the um, peel the old roof off, that rubber's uh, still usually still good. Um, or you can just buy it buy it new uh, online. I know I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, all over the place, and I've also seen it. Um, I've seen it available uh, uh, from local uh, local commercial building supply houses. Uh, it's pretty common now. The other option may be old. There are occasionally you'll find uh, online, especially old people recycle old billboards, which are made of a vinyl, a heavy, heavy vinyl. Uh, billboards, of course, are quite huge, and you can buy you can buy pieces of either the entire billboard or pieces of the billboard that are cut to certain sizes. I think I I. Uh, purchased a, uh, I think it was a 30 or 25 or 30 foot long by about 12 foot wide piece for something in the neighborhood of 25, 30 dollars. Then you have to pay shipping too. But um, but uh, these people that recycle it have various sizes available, and they they'll last quite a while. The water and moisture in the, of the soil or the or the filler doesn't really uh, affect the vinyl, so you can you can lay that over the inside of the wall and put your and put your uh, Soil or your or your rice hulls or whatever in inside there, and that will protect the um, any leaching of um, of undesirable chemical or treatment elements in the in the wood structure to go into the uh, to go into the growing bed where you d you really don't want it. Now I will say that older treated lumber was a lot more risky as far as leaching than modern lumber is. Uh, the, the the treatment the treatment process they use is, is basically a, a salt type treatment, and it doesn't have the it doesn't have nearly the health um, risks. The health risk, by the way, is, is fairly low anyway. I mean, that's really not um, it, it. Really, just leaches along to the edges, but but still, I mean, just for people who want to be extra careful, modern treated lumber just doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the uh, uh, toxic effect that older treated lumber did so that it's not as much of a risk, but still, it is it is still treated lumber, and and also you probably don't want all that salt getting into your soil anyway, um, just from the standpoint of 
what it's doing to the beyond carrying any nutrient issues into the into the plant for eating purposes. It it, it also probably isn't helping the uh, helping the um, growing process uh, as much as probably heavily heavily introducing more salt into the soil than than would be necessary. The fertilizer already has you know salt in it. So um, I don't know if I've confused anybody everybody completely. But um, <laughs> if there's any, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm checking no, on the chat room here. Yeah. Any any kind of questions, but um, um, you know, it's it's essentially just um, just uh, uh, putting the putting the um, raised beds, filling them with with this material, and just and just growing from there. And um, you know, the the design aspects of of planting a raised bed are, are such that you want to be able to reach um, from the sides. You want to be able to reach to the center of the uh, of the bed without having to stretch real far. So they're they're going to be a little narrower than maybe some normal uh, normal beds might be in a normal sense where you can get between the rows because when you raise a raised bed up, you really can't get between the rows uh, easily. So you have to make it so you can reach from from either side and, and from the end. So you keep that in mind. And you um, and you you know want to be able to get tools in there if you want to you know reach over and and, and uh, work it a little bit so you have to think about that but generally uh, a four foot wide bed by anywhere from you know ten twelve maybe up to sixteen feet long can be filled mm-hmm. um, the length really isn't all that critical um, because you can walk along the length but the width is the width is because you have to be able to reach you know reach in there yep. um, so you know it's um, it's really just a matter of um, of planning your your bed out to what your to what your physical uh, capabilities are. A tall, a tall person may be able to a standing tall person may be able to stand a little more width of their of their bed design just because they can reach you know reach further. Um, but what what is interesting here is that with the with the new growing medium, uh, the growth may occur quicker and and more uh, fully than with than with soil. So you you may want to um, you may want to uh, build in some support for, especially for plants that, that need support. Uh, build in some, plan ahead with some support along the uh, edges that you can lay in some kind of a, some kind of a, um, uh, a pipe. So you might you might be able to put hardware cloth or some kind of a, um, some kind of a, uh, a support for 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 climbing plants. You want to be able to plan that in, and you also want to want to be able to uh, lay down before you put your medium in lay down some uh, some fabric underneath so some weed blocker so you don't want uh, you don't want to uh, uh, have any any weeds in the soil that might be present in the soil to uh, migrate up through the uh, into the medium and still and still reach the surface that way um, if people have trouble with um, with varmints I guess you know we still call Moles and things like that. Anything that's going to burrow and then come up into the into the bed, um, it's possible to just get some half inch or quarter inch hardware cloth. Half inch is probably for moles. Half inch is, is fully adequate because that's a one half by one half uh, space. But it's a good galvanized wire, uh, wire netting or or hardware cloth is actually a, a wire netting. Um, laying that down before you put your your soil medium on top will prevent. Um, any burrowing animals from from getting anywhere up into the bed because they'll hit that wire and, and they'll stop. And same with the weeds. If you've got a weed barrier underneath there, the weeds just won't be allowed to uh, you know to come up you know come up in. So uh, 
it's all a little more technical and a little more mechanical than um, than just a you know throwing a few rows out uh, and tilling them and you know taking care of it that way. But it it is it is more you know more or less uh, probably more successful in the long run too because you're eliminating all the um, all the weeds and the pests and and all that right from the get go. Um, you know as far as I've got a question. Uh, oh yeah, I don't, I don't think you uh, question real quick. If you're if with that type of setup, is there 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 wouldn't be a need for um, uh, your red worms, your composting worms, or can you still use the composting worms if you're you know, or the the type of worms you would have to aerate the soil and and use the obviously the worm poop to help fertilize and things like that, or could, could you utilize worms in that type of uh, medium and setup that we're talking about today? Oh, def- definitely, yeah. The worms will uh, the the nutrients in the in the in the supplement or in the in the medium, I'm going to call it the medium. Um, there is there are there are nutrients along with all the other requirements for worms. There's the airspace between the between the particles. There's the moisture retention, nutrients more so than soil. All the trace elements, um, you know, everything the worms like and need are, are there. Uh, not just the earthworms, but also red worms and other other things. So um, so that. That kind of and the microbes and all that. that since since these are all organic organic substances to begin with, the peat moss, the rice is rice. I mean, and the and the cotton burrs, cotton just the just the trimming the trimmings from the cotton plant. I mean, it's all organic stuff. So the earthworms will or the red worms and the earthworms and all the other worms will, will um, really take to it. Uh, it'll yeah, it's just it'll work out just fine. Okay, great. Um, it makes you know if you think about it, it makes sense because it's not like we're putting in perlite or something that's or you know fiberglass beads or styrofoam mm-hmm. beads or something like that where it's where they're sort of foreign elements. So these are these are these are fully organic um, um, you know products. Uh, if I can call it a product, I guess it is once you, if you're if you're mm-hmm. buying it. Uh, um, when I say organic, I don't necessarily mean that they're raised organically, but I mean they're. Their natural, sustainable uh, right. stuff, you know. So, um, so uh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, and um, you know, it seems a little strange, but you're actually building a garden. Um, it's almost like some, you know, like some, almost to the point of building an, an, a hydroponic growing garden, except it's not a. You're not pumping water or nutrients through in a liquid sense. You're just you're just structuring everything to eliminate the majority of the problems. From the onset, that would be a cause of uh, of taking away your time and your uh, and your effort in uh, uh, in in weeding and all the all the maintenance issues that would normally be occurring with trying to keep the birds out and trying to keep the you know the moles out and everything. What what I was saying, getting at before, is you could you could um, if you build a pipe pipe mounting um, by using by using pipe stubs in along the walls. In, in the if you're using block for example which is which is basically what what our article in our in our uh, January February issue this was the January February issue of, uh, of back home this article was uh, taken from is what I'm what I'm speaking about now mm-hmm. the gentleman mm-hmm. used uh, used a block a block um, uh, foundation for his uh, for his raised beds and he's using the the cores of the blocks as a, as a mounting for pipe uh, pipe mounts so in those pipe mounts he can stick Either PVC pipe or ABS pipe, and he can make cloches. Now he can make cloches, so keep the birds out by putting bird netting over the over the yeah. making hooped supports 
that he sticks into these pipe mounts that are in built into the walls of right. the uh, raised bed. Or he's and and he is also building supports for his plants by, by poking in uh, short lengths of uh, PVC pipe, maybe up, up to your chin or something, and and cross and making just a basically a squared off little rack, and and he can hang netting or whatever he needs to hang, like strings or whatever for beans, off of that, so he can have a have a, a support for plants that need the support, and then he can throw the netting over the top of that for the bird protection if he doesn't if he wants to keep birds off of berries or whatever else he may be growing and also with netting he's keeping out other other um, uh, uh, animals that will you know tend to come in if there's not netting there so so basically he's doing doing a lot of things you can use um, you know cattle panels you can use chicken wire you can use about anything you want to keep those varmints out but but if you take the time and the effort to to uh, put that netting or, or uh, chicken wire over there um, over the top of the uh, the growing area, you're you're going to eliminate you know 99% of your of your issues with uh, with both tunneling from below and and assault from the top, birds or otherwise. And these things are not permanent structures. They're talking about things that can be un unfolded off or done in a matter of minutes. Um, the hoops themselves can can be unpulled and and stored you know, easily in, in five minutes for, you know, a 16-foot garden. It won't take five minutes to take the whole thing apart. Uh, you know, the bed stays, but the uh, but the uh, the cloche structure and the netting and all that comes off. A uh, very simple thing with a flat, with plastic pipe. There's no there's no um, nuts or bolts to unscrew or worry about, no fittings to worry about. It's just a matter of poking it, bending it, putting it in the next in the next hole, and, uh, and it's done. Um, you know, it's really a low-maintenance... High, um, you know, high success kind of a um, kind of a garden. In which, in which case, you can also add the normal soilless components you would add otherwise. You know, leaves, compost, composting. Um, once the once material has been composted, the heat from the compost normally kills the wheat seeds and all the all the um, uh, elements of of uh, all the undesirable things. And and it's once it's been composted, it can be it can be supplemented to the medium that we've put in there. Um, you know, even even biochar. I mean, all this stuff we talked about on prior shows. Oh, yeah. Balanced in in a balanced way. You know, you can you can really embrace the uh, uh, sort of a sort of a scientific growing method without the high science, because uh, you really all all you have to really do is balance the nitrogen and the and the um, and carbon and uh, and composting is going to do that for you anyway. So, you know, how you've would got you go it. about? Would you would you? How important would it be, Richard, to do a um a soil test? And and where would we do that along the way? If we're, we're adding a lot of this stuff, maybe right before, maybe when we're finished adding it, and then um before we actually place the plants in there at the beginning of the season, mid and end season, or and I guess that gets kind of repetitious. But we're we're along this path of, of, say, building this raised bed with all the medium, uh, would we do a soil test? Would it be, I, w- I would think we'd want to for using a lot of different things to see what the outcome was, what pH, um, to see if I needed to add lime or not add lime or add something else to it. Or when would be the best time to do a soil test and that that would be done just like any other soil test we, we would do? I, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't think doing a soil test initially would be helpful because it probably wouldn't it wouldn't be accurate because things haven't mm-hmm. been able to break down. That's number one. Number two, I I uh, at that point because things have not started to decompose, it would be difficult 
I, I should say, I, w- I would think it would be difficult to use the standard testing method because it's not really soil. It has to. It would have to mm-hmm. be given some time to break down. I think, you know, what I would do is I would I would go through a season, make a just like a, in any good gardening practice, you make a keep take some notes and you, you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm adding. You might in one bed, you know, you have so many cubic feet of of medium. What would, what would normally be soil, but you have medium, we'll call it medium. So in, in that, you say, I'm going to add, you know, um, so many buckets of, uh, of compost material. I'm going to add this much lime. I'm going to add this and that, you know, leaves, whatever, um, and keep a record of what you did. And then at the end of the season, after, after it's had a, a full few months to compost, then you can do a soil test because then you know this is what happened when I did all these things I took notes on. Mm-hmm. Next, so then if you, when you get the test back, um, you can say it can say it's, it's weak, it's got a, a, a low pH, or it's um, or it's um, doesn't have enough nitrogen, or whatever phosphate, potassium's low, whatever. You can make amends to your to your recipe for the next year, and then you know do your soil test again, and you can sort of play with this. And after after a while, you get to know to what point you need to mix things to get you know the highly desirable. Um, blend you need to make things work and and you'll be seeing how things work of course as you as you're growing because they're they will you know you they will uh, be growing in the meantime so you can you get an idea of that and you know a lot of that has to do with if you're used to if you're used to a certain uh, crop if you got a favorite you know a favorite snap bean you like or or whatever it might be um, you can sort of judge just by the growth growth rate and what it looks like how you're doing and you can maybe do some supplement that way if you're if you're a uh, uh, experienced gardener, but I think you know, I think it's important to let everything break down and um, and just sort of work itself in. Let the earthworms work. Let the let the moisture do its work. Let the sunlight do its work, and the de- decomposition occur. And once it's actually turned into, um, I don't know what you want to call it, homemade soil, I guess, uh, um, soil medium, uh, then then we'll be able to analyze it a little more a little more um, accurately. Um, Chris was checking the chat room. Would, would Richard use uh, pine shavings from the chicken coops uh, without composting it? I just say you, right uh, out you can do today. that. You can do that to some extent, but I mean, I don't. I never put anything directly into the into the soil. I, I always run it through the compost bin first. And I'll be honest, I, not every bit of compost is actually fully composted. I use, but you know that doesn't always. Um, sometimes you just have to do. You have to work with what you've got. You know, in the, right. the war on weeds, you go to war with the army you've got, as they, as they say. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but you know, you know, if I if I was, a, I, I'm really not. Don't, you know, I'm not. I'm not the best gardener in the world. But, but I do try to keep the compost pile active and, and mm-hmm. fed well, uh, as, as to, to the ability of the time I, I have to do it. Um, and you know, I've got always got a couple of piles working simultaneously, so you can sort of sort of work it that way. But but um, the wood does take a time. The chips do take longer to um, to uh, break down. But but I will say that once they've been through the chicken coop, they are pretty much really small. I mean, they've really broken down. They those birds really get in, really get into it. I mean, between their manure and their and their uh, scratching, um, I've I've sort of I've sort of wandered into the the uh, deep litter. Method, if people are, are aware of that, um, and uh, and that that really has been working out real real well. So it uh, it um, 
you know, it, it does break everything down and then it further goes through the actual compost pile. But, I, you know, I, I myself don't transfer what's in the coop directly to the garden um, as, a, as in my practice. But, I, you know, I imagine you can. Um, it's just going to break down further in the garden. I, I'm, you know, the chickens do, do a pretty good job as it is. It's just going to break down further. Right. And, of course, as always, but more, she, you know, old, I guess there's no guarantee either if she cleans out the coop. Um, like you're saying, a lot of it, the older poop there and the older wood shavings may be a good uh, medium to add to it, but you may have some more fresh um, droppings as well, which may be too high in nitrogen for the plants. It could burn them if you're going to plant directly in, in something that you immediately used from your from your poop. So uh, most all of mine goes in, the, uh, in a compost pile. Um, yeah, that's, that's directly. Common, common sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, so that's why I said if you're going to use a direct application, you may want to be um, conservative about how much you put in uh, in your mix, depending on the size of the um, the bed. Or I guess if she's if she's uh, um, building these say in the early fall, and then all through fall with the leaves falling and things like that, she she adds things to it for for planting in the spring. Then it's got several yeah. months to uh, to compost in that raised bed versus just I'm going to put all this in the raised bed today and plant tomorrow. If she's adding things to that raised bed starting in the fall when she builds it to get ready to plant in the spring, then it's, it's got several months to compost and, and mix in and biodegrade in that in that bin. Of course, you can turn it and till it by hand, turn it over, things like that, and then you'll be ready to plant for spring. So in that aspect, I guess you could just go ahead and put it in there if you're looking at putting everything in there and letting it kind of break down in the fall for your spring garden, I guess that would be an option. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the um, the uh, uh, one of the th- one of the things I try to do. Uh, a lot of people don't like to use. Well, some people don't like to use the machinery if they can avoid it. But I will mulch. Uh, we have a lot of hardwood trees where I live, and I, I will mulch oak leaves and maple leaves, mostly oak though. Uh, in the lawnmower, just run the mower through piles of leaves and uh, with a mulching mower, which is the regular old push, you know, motor-driven push mower that, that you can get anywhere with the mulching blade. Um, and it really chops those leaves up to a fine a fine mix. And then you can add it in the fall because it, it already, that has, gives it so much more opportunity to break up. And the other thing I, I don't mind doing is I have a, a really good um, uh, turning fork, like a pitchfork, but a turning yeah. fork. The tines of the turning fork are designed differently than a regular, regular pitchfork garden fork, so you can um, you can turn the soil um, uh, with that. And in the, the way I set my beds up, they're low enough that I can just stand on the edges and do it that way. Um, and we also uh, it, it just brings it up topic-wise. Um, we've also had uh, in the meantime in our um, I'm trying to find if it was last issue I think it was yeah last issue had a um, uh, in the same issue as the um, as the raised beds, we had a we had a, a really it was a popular popular little article on using a broad fork, which is a a whole different um, uh, type of tool that you actually uh, use in place of a tiller. But it's a manual tool that that does some just wonderful things if you use it correctly and get the right get the right design. So that would be something that people may want to look into um, just for. You know, just for the tilling and and uh, doing their fall maintenance, uh, well, spring as well. But I mean, this uh, particularly tilling amendments into the soil in preparation to put the garden to bed. Um, on a on a raised bed garden, it, the the um, the broad fork has to be. Uh, you have to think about the 
with it and everything, but um, but certainly they're not for, they're not uh, uh, most of them are not going to be so broad that they won't fit in the garden bed. So we talk about the width and the length making sense. Really, doesn't matter how long it is, but the width, so you can get on your knees, bend over, and reach at least halfway across. Um, how about yeah. the depth? Is there is there a depth? Um, doesn't uh, doesn't matter. I mean, no, you know, like in in one in in the in the raised beds that we featured in the in the May June issue in the uh, in the uh, uh, March April issue of back home we uh, that was actually basically think of a tray on legs so there was a depth limit there I mean the, the depth the, the the depth of that tray essentially uh, look at a picture of it I don't remember offhand what it was but you you're essentially looking at um, at probably uh, a foot and a half something like that um, you know which is perfectly a foot and a half, two feet, perfectly uh, deep enough for you know soil. Um, but if if you were to build your soil up, uh, build your bed up to say your your uh, waist or even to your chest, if you wanted it, well, it wouldn't be quite to the chest, but up to the your belly, say, and it was right to the earth, it would just be as deep as as deep as um, as it needed to be. I mean, you still just fill it up. I mean, ostensibly you could fill the bottom of it with sand if you needed if you needed to build up with a lower layer with something that would be, you know, benign enough that it wouldn't hold weeds, uh, you know, and then from there up you could put your soil medium. Uh, up to the top, the top foot and a half could be, uh, could be your growing medium. So, you know, really what's, what's below that really isn't, isn't as critical as long as there's, um, as long as there's drainage. Okay. Oh, very good. That's a lot of neat uh, information. I've got, I've got one o'clock. If, if there's something else mission critical on your um, outline there regarding this topic, we can quickly cover that. Um, before we go, though, I have a question, kind of taking yeah. care of some uh, spring business or whatever I got. And I, I see that she's in the chat room right now, too. So I just wanted to see um, uh, that these gift subscriptions that we've been doing over the last uh, year or so, I know that um, uh, Christmas Chick is in the chat room. She won one of the gift subscriptions that uh, on our radio show, and so she won a year subscription to your magazine. Um, and then um, I noticed in the mail I received a renewal notice for that, but it did have, you know, the, the gifts are, now will she get one as well so she can subscribe? You know, we popped for it for her for a whole year, and then will she get a reminder or, or a card of being the recipient of the magazine to say, hey, it's time to renew? Or does that just go to me as the one who gifted it? As far as I know, and I, I'll have to check with Joanne, who's our circulation director. Uh, normally, what she does is she will she will offer the giver, case you, the opportunity to re-gift. But in your case, that's not the way it's supposed to work. So uh, that'd be wonderful for the for, for your listeners. But um, but I uh, uh, that, so that's the way it's, the way it's set up because yours is a little bit of an unusual situation. Um, okay. I I don't know. Um, I, don't, I I'm I'm pretty sure that both that it doesn't go both ways, and especially with the you know the U.S. mail, uh, it would be uh, quite expensive to be sending two two out. Right. So we do do email email as well for renewals, but um, but uh, you know the normal structure is to send it to the giver and remind them that maybe you want to give you know give your nephew or your or your sister or your whatever um, uh, another year back home, but. Uh, I see. Um, that you know, probably the way to respond to that would be maybe maybe just send back and say this this is a you know situation and uh, and it should be sent directly to um, you know to her instead of to me. 
Yeah, yeah, she said in the chat room, said, yeah, that would be a great deal. Thanks, CW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah that, that's fun. the whole intention. You know, hey, you know, get, you know, we will uh, we will give the prize away, a whole year subscription uh, on us, which is awesome. They can, yeah, they already listen, they already love you, Richard, and, and love the information. So, hey, now they got a free subscription, and uh, and we would hope that they enjoy the magazine so much that when it, they, and, and, and so she's listening now, so she knows it's time to contact you and, and go ahead and pay for another year or three or five or whatever she uh, what deals you're offering, and then uh, she can continue to get that. So that's uh, we would hope that the majority of people were happy with what they're receiving and would choose after the one-year gift subscription is over for them to go ahead yeah. and subscribe uh, on their own dime. So I, I just wanted to, that I would forget and was <laughs> my busy day, or to forget to email you or whatever. So that's uh, just why she was in there and you were on the line. I wanted to cover that because that's killing three birds with one stone because she's listening live today. So we got that information. So no worries. All right, so Christmas Chick, there you go. If you enjoyed the magazine the last year on the house from from uh, <laughs> Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, then you can go ahead and find it backyard. Um, it's at backhomemagazine.com. Backhomemagazine.com is where you can subscribe there or you can call that 800 number that's on that uh, website and talk to a real live person there in North Carolina and uh, be subscribed. So I just got that uh, in the mail <clears throat> sometime in the last six weeks since we've been on the road. So sometime in the last six weeks I got that. So you may be getting your last issue or have gotten your last issue, Christmas Chick. So cool. Well, Richard, thank you very much for joining us today. Really interesting information. And, uh, uh, again, about the, the soilless and, and weedless uh, beds, weeding. It, it, you know, it's kind of like when, when we plan something out, you know, at least nowadays, we, we figure, and Jen and I are like, okay, is this going to be easy enough to where we're going to do this? <laughs> if it's not, it's like cleaning, when you design your chicken coop, and when you're buying a chicken coop, is it designed so cleaning is easier? Because if cleaning is not easy or easier, then you're not going to do it like you should at an interval where you should, because it's not going to be easy. <laughs> so now that that goes to, with with just about anything we do, I'm like, hmm. And now, now this has a good a good idea, but uh, six months from the road down the road, am I going to continue with this, whatever the idea may be, or am I going to continue to upgrade or, or maintain? How easy it is going to be to do that? Um, and so obviously, if we can do something that's weed free, then we can uh, have more time on the swing with our lemonade on the front porch than actually uh, weeding. Uh, <laughs> the beds, and we can benefit from the uh, harvest from the beds instead of weeding. So it's it's, it's interesting information which uh, should interest a lot of people out there. So we thank you very much for for joining us. And uh, let me get back over to my email, and I'll share everybody. I think just to give them an idea, Richard joins us on the second and fourth Thursday uh, of every month. And I'm going to look and see if. Uh, no, I have not. Okay, I just I had assumed that you had sent me some topics over, but that was just uh, the headline. Uh, we'll, so. Yeah, we'll um, we'll get up. I'll I'll look through. We have a lot of a lot of fresh talk topics to um, to cover, so I can uh, I will definitely send you a list of say the next cool. the next couple months, and uh, and you can talk about it uh, as an upcoming um, thing that's going to happen, and we'll we'll just uh, be in touch. I'll um, I'll I'll talk to you check, next. Uh, check your magazines and see if. If there's any issues or any any um, uh, articles on uh, preventing pipes from freezing, <laughs> of course we're not anywhere in the winter, but that'll be that'll be coming up in uh, in, in the fall. I'm always dealing with that with a house built in 1900, with so it's four feet up off the ground, and I'm too uh, 
too cheap to underpin it. So, uh, which will probably have to be on the list this fall before winter gets here. But different wraps and, and insulation type things, maybe for for a fall topic. But yeah, we'll look forward to the next uh, four to six uh, um, topics coming our way, and uh, we'll see you back here the uh, second to the second Thursday, uh, I guess in May. Okay. Well, good enough. See you then. Great. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you back. All righty, that was Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. You love it when he's on. You love his topics. I know you'll love his magazine, backhomemagazine.com. Give him a call and subscribe. And Christmas Chick, you need to do the same. Okay, your free ride is now over. <laughs> so, uh, God love it. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Uh, it's going to wrap it up. Tune in on Monday. We'll have... Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, and another great episode of that. That'll be this coming Monday at 12 noon. Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, with another great topic of keeping your backyard flock healthy. So remember, folks, do not rely on a blogger forum to keep your backyard flock healthy and happy. Uh, it could do the exact opposite. It could literally cause death based on the bad information that you see a lot on blogs and forums. So uh, right here, we've got the experts for you on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And we'll see you this coming Monday with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. Have a great weekend. God bless everybody.